of Hebrews chapter 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, many requests were lifted up even before the services in our time of prayer time. But Lord, also we magnify you and thank you, Lord, for the profession of all the requests that you have already answered from previous weeks. We thank you for being this great high priest that we intend to uh, study here this evening. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us during this time. Give me the words to speak, comfort our hearts, strengthen our hearts in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In the game of football, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. In the game of football, there is no game without the ball. It doesn't matter whether you get dressed up in all of your gear, you put the helmet on, you put the cleats on, and you walk out to the football field. If you have no ball, you have no game. In the game of football, really, everything is decided by the ball. If you want a first down, they measure the first down based on the position of the ball. If you want a field goal, it is based on the position of the ball. If you want a touchdown, it is based upon the position of the ball. But isn't it interesting that you can be 90% there, and if you don't have the ball, you have no game. Here in Hebrews chapter 4, these believers have found themselves under attack, not from the outside, not from Nero, not from the king, but from their own countrymen. Here their countrymen is pressuring them to leave Christianity and turn back to Judaism or else. Upon hearing this and through the moving of the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews, whom we do not know, the author of Hebrews puts the pen to the pad to remind these Jewish Believers who have fallen under persecution, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have nothing at all. Even for us today, yeah, we can come here week after week, put money in the uh, offering plate, carry our Bibles and read the text. But if we have Jesus, if we don't have Jesus, we don't have nothing at all. 90%, 95% uh, Christianity is not sufficient to make it into heaven. We need Jesus. Jesus is our all in all. 
So the author here sets out to remind them that Jesus is greater than anything you've ever had in Judaism. Here in well, in Hebrews chapter 3, and I think in the 12th verse, he sets out and calls these people his brethren. In the 6th chapter, he calls them this is his beloved. These people he cared about and sought to remind them and to refresh them. This wasn't a new message. This was a reminder to not recant that which they have already professed. See what he says there. Let us hold fast our profession. The entire book of Hebrews is a refresher to the Jews who was under Judaism who had now been saved. If you were to go home and take time and start in Hebrews chapter 1, really if you take and read in the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1, God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. In the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1, the author sets out to remind the Jews that Jesus is greater than any of the prophets. He goes on in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4 all the way to the end of chapter 2 to remind these Jewish people that Jesus is greater than any of the angels. He goes on in chapter 3 all the way to the uh, chapter 4 and verse 13 to remind these Jewish people that Jesus is greater than any of the lawgivers, Moses. But here in chapter 4 and verse 14, really to the end of chapter 5, he sets out to remind these Jewish brethren that Jesus is greater than any high priest that has ever come before. Jesus here we know is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. In the Old Testament, this was held by different positions. Now, for some of this, this may bring confusion what it means that uh, he is our prophet, priest, and king. How does all of this apply to us today when we say that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king? Jesus is the prophet in the sense that he has made God's will known to us. Jesus is our priest because he alone is what provides us access to God. This was what the Old Testament, the high priest did there. And he is our king because he explains to us what is the rule of God. In Christ, we have both prophet, priest, and king. Here, Hebrews says that Jesus is our all in all. This is not just a message for these Jewish people who had been converted to Christianity. This is a reminder for all believers that Jesus Christ is our all in all. When he sets out to give us this refresher here, and this is not new news, but he sends, uh, sets out to give this refresher, and he gives them three reasons 
in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 why Jesus is greater than any high priest that has ever come before. He says here, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. First, he sets out to say that Jesus is a greater high priest than any priest that has ever come before because Jesus alone is the one that has passed into the heavens. He first offers up this lesson that the location of Jesus makes him different than any priest of times past. In the days of Israel, once a year in the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And there he would, in the Holy of Holies, make an atonement for our sins, for their sins. This was a ritual that would be carried out every day, once a year, for all the people of Israel. But notice what's unique about this. For those Old Testament high priests, they could enter into the Holy of Holies, but one day, if they went outside of them, it would be sure death. If they broke the rules, it would be sure death for them. But yet what we see here, what the author is trying to say is what we have in Jesus that makes him this great high priest is that he passed into the heavens. He not only went through the veil of the temple, but he passed on even further than that and went into the new, kim the new kingdom. He entered into the temple in heaven. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20 that says, after he had made an atonement for our sins that God had raised him from the dead and he was now sitting at the right hand of the heavenly father. This is what makes Jesus a greater high priest than any high priest of times past where they could only enter one but then had to leave. Jesus entered in and made an atonement but once and now dwells in the Holy of Holies. He said Jesus is a greater high priest. He says not only is a greater high priest because he passed into the heavens but he sets out to say that Jesus is a greater high priest because of his lineage. Seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Here he says that Jesus is a greater high priest because of his lineage. The name Jesus tells us of his humanity. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. But the second part tells us of his dignity. You see, his lineage that he was of the line of David that Matthew points out was not enough to make him a qualifier for the high priest. The part that he was from the seed of Abraham was not enough to make him the high priest. And don't think for one second that this was not an esteemed position to be of the lineage of the high priest. 
multiple times in the Old Testament. When we look at Ezra, it points out that he was of the lineage of Aaron. When we look at Ezekiel, he was of the lineage of Aaron. When we look at Jeremiah, he was of the lineage of Aaron. But the author says, what makes Jesus such a great high priest is he is the son of God. Who else could make this claim? Man could not make this claim. Angels could not make this claim, but that Jesus Christ was the son of God. Now, he was not the son of God by adoption. He was not the son of God by creation. He was the son of God by nature. He is of the same divine nature as God, therefore being equal with God, which makes him a greater high priest. This is what he's trying to emphasize to them. But here he tells the reader, not only is he a greater high priest because his location is secure. He dwells within the Holy of Holies. Not only does he tell them that he's a greater high priest because of his lineage, he is the Son of God, God in the flesh. But he now tells them because of his lineage and because of, uh, because of his lineage and because of where he came from, this is something worthy to latch on to. This is what made him such a great high priest. Look what he says. Seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Not only is it location, not only is it his lineage, but he says because of his location and because of his lineage, we must cling to this great high priest. Let us hold fast our profession. Remember, these Jewish people had found themselves under persecution. Through many dangers and toils and snares, God had already brought them through. Even us, as we stand here today, just like them alike, we are constantly being tempted to, by the world to let go of the confession, to let go of the profession that we have once made. But the writer said to let go and to abandon what we have in Jesus for an obsolete and dead religion like Judaism was a serious matter. Now, notice what he does not say here. He does not say, let us hold fast our salvation. That's not what he says. Salvation is not on the line here. He's not telling them to cling to their salvation unless they might lose it in the hour of temptation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Matter of fact, when you get over there in John chapter 10 and verse 19. A summarized version is to say that those which God has given to the Son, no one and likewise will pluck out. This is the persevering of the church, not the recanting. I mean, this is not about, this is about persevering and not recanting. 
In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. In my Bible, next to that verse, I have written three times, faithful, faithful, faithful. We can have confidence that this great high priest is greater than any of times past because he has been faithful, faithful, faithful. He, he says you can trust this high priest because of all the promises that he has kept to us. Now, if you look in times past at the high priest that existed, and you knew there was trouble at the very beginning. Because when you get back to Exodus and look at Aaron, the first high priest, where do you find him as you get into Exodus? You find him there, what? Offering up and offering and bringing forth this golden calf. If you read on a little further before long, you'll find yourself in a situation where you're reading about Aaron's children who what? End up making strange fire unto the Lord. But yet what we find here in the Lord that he offers up is that he is faithful. He has always been faithful. Even more what he says to us here in this text. Let us hold fast our profession. You know, when you look at Aaron and when you look about his lineage, what happened to his lineage? What happened to Aaron? He died. Even those people who were connected to his lineage, whether it be Ezekiel or Ezra, what happened? Well, they died also. But we have such a great high priest because of his lineage. The Bible says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. We can bank upon his promises that he's faithful, faithful, faithful. When he says that he'll never leave us, that he, when he says he'll never forsake us. But even more, the emphasis is brought in that he is God. But you know what? It doesn't matter what country you go to. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. You're going to find yourself around people who have problems. And it doesn't matter in what country you're in. You know what? Brother Green was sick for the last couple of days. Did Joe Biden call you and tell you that he was worried about you? No. You know, our leaders of today don't know about our ailments. They don't know about our frailties. But look at what verse 15 says. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. For we have not in high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. This phrase, touched with the feelings of, is one word in the Greek. It comes from the word sum, path, 
Io. It's almost like where we get the word sympathy. It means to have compassion upon. And then we see infirmities, meaning frailty, meaning sickness, meaning weakness. He says that we have an high priest who has compassion upon us in our weakness, in our frailties, in our sicknesses. We have an high priest now who understands exactly what we are going through. My son is going to be having surgery next month. And ever since I realized that this was coming around the pike and he realizes that it's coming around the pike, he's asking a lot of questions. The discomfort that he feels, he knows that he needs this procedure, but he's also really nervous. I have found myself more in the last week and a half getting my son climbing in, having climb in bed with me. Let's watch a cartoon together. Let's watch some TV together. Let's talk. And I'm trying to comfort my son because I know what it means to be afraid. I know what it means to be nervous. I know what it means to be scared about the unknown. And the author of Hebrews says that our high priest, our intercessor, we can take comfort because he knows all about what we're going through. Now hear me now. He not only says that he knows about all our troubles, which is more than what the leader of our country can say about our illnesses. But it says there in verse 15 that he has compassion. He has sympathy, meaning he cares about us when we're in those conditions. Even more, he says that even as we face troubles and temptations, he knows what it's like to be tempted, yet he has remained without sin. We have, maybe, some of us have temptations, things that go through our mind that we would dare speak of today. Things that linger in the back of our minds, and we say to ourselves, why in the world is that thought even going through my mind. Here in verse 15, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus was tempted in, in some points. Well, that's not what it says. It says that he was tempted in all points, yet remained without sin. This is what makes Jesus such a great high priest. He knows exactly what we're going through, and he knows exactly how to overcome that which we are going through. Even more, I fear that sometimes the thoughts that go through our mind that we dare not speak of, the temptations that we have that go through our mind that we dare not speak of, it causes the exact opposite effect in our prayer life than it should. We find ourselves tempted and we at times say, how could I ever go to the Lord with these things going through my mind? 
I thought like this today. Satan tempted me in this train of thought, tempted me with this, tempted me with that. How could I ever come before him? But look what happens here in verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted like as we are yet without sin. So what does this lead us to? What does it lead us to that we have a great high priest who was tempted like we are? Verse 16 tells us the desired effect of the information you just retained in verse 15. Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The fact that he has been tempted, the fact that he's been tempted at all points, the fact that he understands our weakness, the fact that he understands our frailties, that God is not estranged from the fact that the devil, the prince and the power of the heirs seeking to entice us, to draw us into sin. This is not estranged from him. Yet, since he understands this fully in a more clearer understanding, he was there the day that Jesus, or the day, he was there the day that Satan fell. He understands his conniving greater than any other priest in times past. And because he has this great understanding of the way Satan works, and because of our frailties, it should cause us to run to him. Because no one understands the troubles that we go through like Jesus. No one understands what it means to be pulled by the prince and the power of the air like him. But you see this in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Well, this is a change from the Old Testament to the New. When you see the throne being seen in the Old Testament, Isaiah looked up there in chapter 6 and said, Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of people with unclean lips. But yet, when Isaiah seen this situation, he completely and immediately went to repenting of sins and recanting. Like, woe unto me. But look what he says here. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. He reminds us that when we approach the throne room of God, this great high priest that we have, he's not only our intercessor, but he reminds us that we are all a bunch of grace cases today. When we come before him and seek him in prayer, he understands exactly where you are. But the Holy Spirit has moved upon the writer of Hebrews to remind us when we come to the throne of God, it's not to have judgment poured upon us, but it is to seek his grace. Notice also, this is not just an individual offering, but he said, let us. Come boldly. In old, the Old Testament, you had to take your petitions to the high priest. 
And the high priest alone could enter into the Holy of Holies. Is it not an amazing thought to us that if we all seek God in prayer, we are not going to flood heaven with too many prayer requests? There is no waiting line there. He said, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. For what reason? That we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When I was a kid growing up, I often tell you stories about how much of a scaredy cat I was. One of the worst things about having friends when you was growing up, like being me, was when your friend would say, do you want to stay the night at my house? Terrifying. I can remember one time the Wilders asked if I would stay the night over because Eric was having a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle party. I was down with the turtles, but not down with the sleeping. When the bedtime had come and there was time to not be a turtle, I turned back into Danny and began to plot my escape. I stayed awake until it was about 12.30, 1 o'clock, and told no one and called my mother and called my mother until she woke up and had her come get me. Those hours laying there, if I still remember, it can only tell you how petrified I was the thought of staying the night there. But I was scared, and I wanted out of there. In the hours waiting for my mom to be able to make the call to come get me was all the worst. One of the, one of the most exciting times for a little scaredy cat kid's life like mine is when we both got cell phones. It was wonderful. Because whenever I found myself getting overwhelmed, I could just pick the phone up and call my mom. I had immediate access, unlimited access to my mom. Notice what he says here. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. Where at? In the time of need. There is nothing more satisfying to finding deliverance from a problem when you're in the problem. There is nothing more satisfying than knowing when you can just pick up the phone and call and say, come get me. And there is nothing more horrifying to be in the middle of a trouble and not be able to get out of it. There's nothing more problematic to have a problem and know that somebody can get you out of it, but you can't get a hold of them. But he says here that we have found ourselves in a situation with Jesus Christ being our high priest, that in the time of need, we are able to find grace. I don't have to wait till tomorrow. I don't have to wait till next month. I don't have to wait to see how this is all going to pan out. At faith in Christ and his atoning work on Calvary, believing that God has raised him from the dead, secular service has been established. It don't matter where I am. It doesn't matter the situation. I can call unto him and he will hear my prayers. 
Hebrews chapter 4, really 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. The entire book of Hebrews is to remind us that Jesus is everything in our faith. And without him, we have nothing at all. We have dead religion. We have works, actions, but no hope at all. So I set out to say to us this evening, do you realize that Jesus is such a great high priest? When we say that he is our great high priest, it is to say that there is no one else like him. You may have called Aaron a high priest, but he was not the great high priest. He had his limitations. He had his failures. Matter of fact, there at the bottom of the mountain, he lacked understanding what the children of Israel needed, did he not? Therefore come this golden calf. But not our great high priest. It's amazing to me that really the summarization of those three verses is to say that God knows more about you. The Lord knows more about you than anyone else he knows the wicked, vile things that Satan tempts you with more than anyone else. And yet, though you face those temptations that you share with no one, the fact that he is our great high priest and that he knows all those things should compel us all the more to come to the throne room of grace with boldness, saying, Lord, Satan's at it again. We can come with boldness and get what? Mercy and grace in the time of need. What a great high priest. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, Lord, I thank you for this word that constantly encourages me. It constantly refreshes me and strengthens me about what I have in you. These riches are too deep for me to fully understand, but yet I praise you for allowing me to vast in it, to lay in it, to dig in it daily. I give thanks to you for all that you've done. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy that you've bestowed upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.